Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, hi, and welcome to the show. I hope we're having a little possible technical issues. Um, If you can't hear me, you'll let me know, maybe. Uh, It is August 10th. And um, hang on, I'm trying to do too many things at once. It's August 10th. It's a Monday. And I've got a little bit of a throat issue. Ah! It's so scary when you have any kind of, you know, normally you wouldn't even think of it. You know, I sort of raspy throat and I'm thinking, that's it. I'm dead. I don't, I, and I'm, I'm sure it's nothing. I feel really good in every other way. So, guys, let's start. Well, I don't know. I, you know, here's a problem. I don't know where your heads are at. And the fact that you are a group constituted of uh, individuals, (laughs) I mean, you all might be in a million different places. Well, not a million, but... So I'm not sure uh, where you'd want to start. I mean, we could start with the horrors or we could start with something so amazing that I read. And I worry sometimes that some of you don't find um, some of the things that I find amazing, amazing. And so if I go on and on, your eyes are rolling back in your head. Um, But I did find this so well, no pun intended, uplifting, and you'll see why that's uh, a pun. Uh, and it, it's something that I that I sort of saw like a few weeks ago and then forgot about it. And then uh, I found it sort of chewed by my dog. So some of it's missing. It's a it's a story, a piece of thing that was in uh, the New York Times Magazine. uh, And and it's by a woman named Helen McDonald. And it's simply poetry. It is so extraordinarily beautiful, but it is about a bird. (laughs) It's not a specific bird. It's about a species of bird, uh, the common swift And uh, you and I in the U.S., anyone living in North America, for that matter, South America, uh, have likely never seen one because uh, they don't hang out in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, They hang out in Europe, and and that's in the summer, and then they they winter in sub-Saharan Africa. So that is where the common swift lives. And this woman has been taken by what she calls their magic uh, since she was a child. Uh, And she says that unlike all the other birds I knew as a child, the swifts never descended to the ground. Now, I'm trying to think of other birds I've never seen on the ground. 
a hummingbird, right? I'm not sure I ever saw like a hawk on the ground. I see them in trees. I see them soaring. I don't know. But the swift, unless it's laying eggs and nesting on those eggs, is never on the ground. Can you imagine spending a life in the air? And then they call them swifts in part because they travel up to 50 miles per hour. Now there's sort of a medium sized blackbird. And um, I just have to mind, I mean, I was so blown away by this being and by her writing that I, this is so much nicer than talking about all the trouble. If you would allow me, because it reminds us of the awesome reality of nature, of the natural world, and humbles us by this knowledge that there are so many things happening around us, beneath us, above us, that we have no understanding of and that we have unhappily no appreciation of. So let's start where it is rare that one would see a swift, and that is not flying. So when they do nest, they nest in very obscure, dark, and cramped little spaces. They, they're found under the tiles of roofs in, in uh, Europe. And this would be in, in, in Europe. Uh, in towers of churches. And when they're heading into the nests, they fly straight at these tiny little entrances at full tilt. <laughs> Going, just shoot, and bang, disappear. Now, how do they build their nests if they never alight? That nests are made of things that they snatch out of the air. And that can be things like, you know, some dried grass that the wind has picked up, um, uh, molted feathers from another bird floating down, um, other things carried up by the wind, scraps of paper. There's even been butterflies found <laughs> as part of a swift nest. They, they mate in the air on the wing. And as soon as the young fledglings take that first flight, that's it. They never return to the nest. They tip themselves free. They start to fly. 
and they do not stop flying for two or three years. They take their baths in the rain. They feed on insects in the air. For water, they do drop down to a lake or a river and scoop mouthfuls of water. So in the summer, they're in Europe, and then they winter in the forests of sub-Saharan Africa. And they're always moving. So what's amazing about these birds is to avoid heavy rain, which makes it impossible for, for them to do a lot of things, makes it impossible for them to feed, but in order to escape the rain, it's not like they have an umbrella or can go, uh, you know, uh, find something that they can hide under because they're flying. They're always flying. And so in order to steer clear of, um, of heavy rains, they fly clockwise. I mean, this is the kind of thing that's just mind-blowing to me. They fly clockwise around low-pressure systems, literally traveling across Europe and back again, clockwise, around low-pressure systems. And then they sort of meet up in the unstable air above, or excuse me, behind the weather depressions, these systems, because that's where the insects will be. And then on summer evenings, they fly around fast as heck, sometimes flying low so that you see them around rooftops. And then all at once, as if summoned by a some a bell none of us can hear, they totally fall silent and start to rise higher and higher until the naked eye cannot see them. They literally become invisible. These nightly ascents are called vesper flights. Vespers meaning evening, vesper means evening, and like vesper prayers, evening prayers. And scientists for years thought that these vesper flights were simply the swifts flying higher up so that they could soar on the wind, sleep on the wind. Because like other birds, they can put half their brain to sleep, keep the other half awake, and fly while they're sleeping. They can even go into REM sleep, in which the flying is simply automatic. And there's this wonderful story about during World War I, a French aviator, on a special night op 
operation behind enemy lines, cut his engine at 10,000 feet and glided down in silence, in circles over the enemy lines. There was a full moon overhead. And he said this, he wrote later. We suddenly found ourselves among a strange flight of birds, which seemed to be motionless, or at least showed no noticeable reactions. They were widely scattered and only a few yards below the aircraft. They showed up against a white sea of cloud underneath. What that pilot had seen was a party of Swifts in deep sleep in the air. These Vesper flights go up to 6,000 feet. I'll tell you just a little bit more. A scientist who had a background in physics decided he would use Doppler radar, you know, what the weather forecasters use. He would use Doppler weather radar to find out more about this amazing phenomenon of the Vesper flights. And what they decided after witnessing these birds is that they think that what the Swifts are up to is they're literally researching, they're profiling the air as they rise through it. They're gathering information on temperature, the speed, the direction of the wind. And the Vesper flights take them to the top of what is called the convective boundary layer, which is that part of the atmosphere where the ground's heating by the sun produces rising and falling convective currents, which create these thermals of hot air. This is way above where the cumulus clouds are, and it's where the Swifts live. And once they crest that, the top of that layer, they then are in a flow of wind that's unaffected by the landscape below. In fact, it is only determined by the movements of the huge, large-scale weather systems surrounding the globe. So by flying to these heights, Swifts not only see the distant clouds of oncoming systems, frontal systems, but they can also use the wind to assess the possible future courses that those systems will take. What they are doing is they're forecasting the weather because that is necessary for them. And they're doing more than forecasting the weather because at that height, they, can, they also see the patterns of the stars overhead, and thus they calibrate 
their magnetic compasses, which we know birds that migrate have. And they get their bearings. So those vesper flights and the, the use of the stars, the wind, the magnetic cues, the distant clouds a hundred miles out, all of that is information that they take in. And the woman who wrote this says, what they are doing is flying so high that they can work out exactly where they are to know what they should do next. And she says, would that we could do that. Would that we could have that perspective with the information it gives us. And not only do obviously individual SWIFTs all get this information, but they use it together. Now, how the hell do they do that? Well, scientists, again, call it uh, something they, they call the many wrongs principle. So that is that they are averaging all their individual assessments in order to reach the best navigational decision. So all the SWIFTs taking in all this information Average it all out. So if you're in a flock, decisions about what to do next are improved if you exchange information with those around you. Again, a lesson for us. Now, why we can speak to one another, what Swifts do is simply pay attention to what the other Swifts are doing. And in the end, it can be as simple as that. They follow one another. I'll read part of her last paragraph and then I'll stop because I don't know if you guys are as fascinated by this as me, as I said. To take time to see things we need to set our courses toward or against. The things we need to think about to know what we should do next. To trust in careful observation and expertise in its sharing for the common good. When I read the news and grieve, my mind has more than once turned to vesper flights, to the strength and purpose that can arise from the collaboration of numberless, frail, and multitudinous souls. If only we could have seen the clouds that sat like dark rubble on our own horizon. 
for what they were. If only we could have worked together to communicate the urgency of what those clouds would become. Well, I had to share that. I'm not sure what the parts my dog ate, if they were particularly wonderful, but uh, just needed to share that. There is such an arrogance of in our species, such an unwarranted, such an unwarranted arrogance. And I am pretty um, uneducated about the natural world, but any time I read something about it, something that is accessible to a non-scientist, I am always just humbled, blown away. And I looked up Swifts after I read this, wanted to know more about them. Excuse me while I take a sip. And I found out something simply wonderful. They are one of the least endangered bird species in the world. And you can figure out why. Because they don't deal much with the environment we've despoiled totally. They are at the opposite end of the scale of extinction. The common swift. Oh. Well, would that we could have been more observant and prescient and communal and we might not find ourselves in our current predicament. And I forget who wrote it because I, I, I just ripped this out of a paper and I, I, I ripped the name of whoever wrote it out while I did it. I'm sorry, but I thought this was a perfect metaphor for where we find ourselves. It's like we're in an endless car ride with a drunk at the wheel. If only we knew how it would end. Well, usually if you're in an endless car ride with a drunk at the wheel, I'm afraid the odds of a happy ending are not great. Right? So when you heard about an earthquake in North Carolina this weekend, did you did you think, "Ah, oh, no, now we got earthquakes." A hundred years, a hundred years since the last earthquake. And we got earthquakes now in North Carolina. <laughs> and at first I thought fracking, but that's not what it is. I mean, there are, there are faults. Uh, they're, they're old and they're capable of eventually moving. And when they do, uh, yeah, you get an earthquake. So I thought, you know, when just things just keep piling on, 
so they'll have earthquakes and more hurricanes and <coughs> and all the other horrors we have become uh, so used to. Speaking of that, I saw this um, over the weekend, and 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 just so we remember um, that what we are experiencing in this pandemic is not what we had to experience. It was not inevitable. So I I saw a little piece, maybe you did too, that the country of New Zealand has not had a single reported case of coronavirus in 100 days. The country of New Zealand has not had a case in 100 days. That's what can happen if you have good government and a population that is serious and recognizes their individual social responsibility. Can you imagine? They have not had a case in a hundred days in the whole country, in Allegheny County, (laughs) in the last hundred days. What have we had? What's the last count? And whenever you look at these compilation of numbers, my Lord, We are, well, it's shameful, it's humiliating, and of course it's deadly. And then, if that wasn't enough, the other thing I saw over the weekend was, this came out on what, uh, Saturday. And this is actually happening today. Um, uh, uh, A number of mosquitoes collected in Pittsburgh neighborhoods recently have tested positive for West Nile virus. Remember West Nile virus? I remember, you remember when you were so terrified of West Nile virus? Well, it hasn't gone anywhere, so it's still around. And, uh, you know, if you live in uh, Mount Washington, Beltsuver, Perry South, Allegheny Center, there's some mosquitoes around there that uh, apparently have West Nile virus. So the county health department, as if they're not busy enough, 
uh, put out a release that they will be treating uh, those areas uh, using uh, a spray to uh, kill them. A spray, they say, is not harmful to humans or or pets. And um, and then they they tell you something about <laughs> Nile virus. And it's what most people who get it don't develop any symptoms. So by far most, 70 to 80%. Uh, about though 20% of those who get bit by one of these mosquitoes will develop a fever and headache, body aches, joint pains, vomiting, diarrhea, rash. In other words, you'll think you have COVID-19, but boy, will you be happy when you find out what you got is West Nile virus. Because even those 20% that will get sick like that, uh, most of them will recover completely on their own. So it's fewer than 1% of people infected will really get damaged. Inflammation of the brain, blah, 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 neurological symptoms. Anyway, if you think you have it, you should contact your healthcare, your overtaxed healthcare provider who will try to ascertain what particular plague you happen to be uh, suffering from. I should add that there have been no reported human cases of West Nile virus uh, in Allegheny County uh, this year. Just saying, but they're trying to make that, um, you know, continue. Um, and also, and then right after I saw that, I saw something about, you know, Lyme disease, which, which also is, you know, still out there and is very, you know, if you're taking a walk in the park, you know, wear a hazmat suit. Um, God almighty. I mean, at some point, I think you just have to laugh. Oh, Gigi writes, oh, you attached something. I'm sorry. I can't uh, see it. Um, uh, so, oh, it's a sign and it says, fuck, I think is what it means. F Tom Wolf. If you're healthy and wear a mask, go put on your burqa. Live free or die. Well, <laughs> this is why this is why we ain't going to uh, have the outcome that New Zealand had. We're just not. We're not because we are surrounded by. A critical mass of idiots. Gigi writes, around here we have chimney swifts, which feed on the wing and don't perch. Well, I guess swifts just don't. To sleep, they utilize things like abandoned chimneys and cling to the side of the vertical wall. Yeah, these swifts too, the common swift also can cling to a, yes, vertical surface. 
their nests are, well, they sound, so Swifts all do this. Their nests are built against the side of the wall. If you have ever seen a flight of chimney Swifts heading into your nighttime, into their nighttime roost, you've missed a spectacular flight display. Oh, well, nature. Oh, and and speaking of nature, I have a um, an update. This comes from Bree, who our Asian correspondent, who tried playing this program up against his ceiling to see if it would displace the rats he heard uh, living above him. And we had wanted to know if, in fact, the sound of my voice uh, proved to be a good uh, eradication um, tool. So we have an update. (laughs) He writes... Well, Lynn, the rats were not rats. They were civets, although they look more like ferrets or slender raccoons. But civets are a member of the cat family, right? That's what he says. There were two young ones and a mother We caught the young ones using bananas as bait, and they have been carted off by the wildlife folks. Well, I'm glad. I I hope. I always think when the people who, like, you know, rid your home of such animals say, we will release them humanely in the wild, I never believe it. I think they just take them out of your sight and then, like, I don't know, throw them in a garbage disposal. I I just don't believe it. And he sent me a picture of the little critters. They're cute. So the mom was too smart. She said, ah, I'm not falling for Lynn Cullen's voice. So they have reset a new trap for the uh, mother civet. Um, And Bree writes, one baby civet was quite gregarious. The other not. My guess is the gregarious, curious one was the one who got them both caught, had the other one in tow uh, while exploring. Oh, he uses whilst, whilst, whilst exploring the bananas. Man, you've been away from the U.S. too long if you're saying whilst. That's how it's pronounced right, whilst, uh, exploring the bananas. Um, and and then he answers the question that I immediately have. Yes, these are the famous civets whose poop, right? Whose coffee bean poops are sought the world over. Now I'm trying to remember exactly what that is. They feed. What? How does that work with the civets and and this and 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 coffee? <laughs> because some of the best coffees, yeah have emanated from civet poop, right? Well, geez. Um, Some activists online say not to touch the stuff. 
I never had a taste for coffee, so no worries. Anyway, hoping to get a little sleep tonight, but who knows? <laughs> well, thank you so much for the update. That is just great. Um, now, I'm assuming you're all hearing me, right? Because I nobody's... Yeah, well, the fact that I've gotten some emails says, yeah, okay. And and, and just one more animal thing, and I intend to tell my mom this because she turns 98 tomorrow. And uh, there was uh, something on, it says it was on CNN. I saw it on Twitter. Um, A 103-year-old woman. got her first tattoo to cross it off her bucket list. (laughs) Can you imagine being 103 and going in for a tattoo? And they showed the tattoo on her wrinkled, wrinkled, um, I think it looked like her arm. And the tattoo was, well, she says this, all of a sudden I decided I would like to have one. And if I could, a frog, because I like frogs. Oh, God bless her. A hunt, you know, that's why you live to be 103. Somebody who, at 103, would say, you know what? I'm going to go get me a tattoo. And I think it'll be a frog, because I've always liked them. It's that sort of, you know, embrace of life. And my mom does have that, too. You know, a constant love of, of life and curiosity. And, and um, I don't think you could be a real jerk and a grump and live to be 103. You have to be somebody who's embracing life. If you know of any 103-year... Uh, you know, people who are jerks, let me know. But I think in general, that would be, that would be a truism, just from my personal um, experience. Jeez. So, you know, um, I haven't, have I mentioned him yet? I can't even remember. Well, um, I just want to say that one of the things that occurred to me as I sort of thought about the things that he had done in the last few days <laughs> is that he he really does uh, act like a dictator. I mean, I, I know that you know he has all the makings of a you know a narcissistic autocrat and and uh you know he's drawn to narcissistic autocrats and 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 he has no understanding of a uh a democratic republic such as the one he supposedly is the president of he has no real understanding of the constitution and the and the you know the co-equal ha! branches of our government and he just thinks 
or wants to pretend that he alone, as he said before he was elected, can fix it. So this guy who told us he was, member, remember how he sold himself as the greatest negotiator? You're never going to find a deal maker like me. And people fell for that because they thought, oh, yeah, because he's a, he's a billionaire businessman. Never mind that he's really not. <coughs> he's a con man. And they fell for the con. <laughs> so he, he hasn't negotiated a goddamn thing since he's been in. Stop and think right now when the news was full of what? He sends Mnuchin and uh, Mark Meadows, his chief of staff, up to Capitol Hill to negotiate uh, with the uh, Congress and the Democrats to uh, try to find a way to uh, help the millions upon millions of Americans who are desperate, who are unemployed, who are going to lose their benefits, who are going to lose their homes, who cannot afford food. And you would think that if you were the greatest deal maker in the world, You'd call those people into your office, wouldn't you? And he never does. Because like so much of what he says, it's a lie. He only knows how to bully people and con them. And, and so the greatest deal maker ends up constantly without a deal. And so he's left to be a dictator. I alone can fix it. And so he has this absurd uh, photo op thing at one of his uh, golf clubs. And he, you know, with great flourish, apparently, uh, not that I watched it, uh, signs off on his uh, executive orders that'll fix all these problems with a flourish of his uh, Sharpie. Don't worry, you'll get your unemployment benefits. Don't worry, I'm getting rid of the payroll tax. Don't worry, you won't be evicted. Don't worry, you won't have to pay your student loans. And then, after he does the big show, people look at what he signed. And they read it. And they say, uh, no, this ain't going to help anybody. In fact, everybody was quite clear immediately upon looking at it that all these things he signed, some of which are patently unconstitutional, um, will have no immediate impact, will have no meaningful impact on any of the struggling Americans who so desperately need help. I've got to take another drink. Um, <clears throat> so, um, I, I read one of those, you know, analysis pieces, some poor reporter who actually read all this stuff and tried, uh, to see really what it might do for people. Um, 
the president's uh, executive order on uh, eviction, uh, it says here, does not offer um, any immediate hope for people on the brink of losing their housing. You know what that order that, you know what all it says is? It directs uh, federal agencies to consider, get this, it directs federal agencies to consider what they could do with the existing authority and with their existing budgets uh, to help these poor people who are about to be evicted. In other words, it does nothing. The payroll tax nonsense, which will, of course, undercut both Social Security and Medicare, um, I'll just leave you with this one part of the interpretation of that. Pity the payroll processors who have to interpret this memorandum. <laughs> Apparently, it is so confusing as to be in, unintelligible. All right. Well, then, let's see. What else we got here? Oh, uh, student loans. Forget about it. Uh, it ain't gonna well it's nothing specific that I can tell you but don't hold your breath there and the unemployment benefits well that's gotten the most attention um, when he talked about it he says this will give an extra $400 per week in expanded benefits to all these people but people who actually read the memo which is probably more than he did right do you think he read the memos he signed, the executive orders? Pfft. Here, too, they say it is so complicated and potentially costly for the states. All he did was kick it to the states that people aren't going to see that money anytime soon. And it's all full of caveats. It actually translates really to an additional $300, not four. Uh, the federal government will pay only 75%. States would have to kick in the other 25 or the 100 bucks. And a lot of states are so strapped for cash now, they can't even do what they're supposed to be doing. They don't need any extra, extra expenses. And the reality is, is some states are such stingy, read red states, red states. Some states are so stingy that uh, they are currently paying unemployed people less than $100 a week anyway. And so that means they'd be left out entirely of the president's great uh, fix here. Um, they ain't going to get anything from this. And where's he getting the money for the $300 or $400, $300? He's getting it by raiding FEMA as we head into well, we're in the midst of, but we're heading into the thick of the hurricane season, which has been uh, projected to be a tough one. So all the FEMA money that's supposed to help all the people who are going to, you know, be flooded out or actually, uh, you know, ending up with homes that are now rubble, uh, there ain't going to be no money for them. What a con artist.
And then Trump, uh, Barbara sent me this. Boy, am I glad I didn't watch this. So he held this, you know, the big signing at uh, Bedminster with uh, some of the folks who pay him to belong to his uh, club uh, as the audience. They were there and the media were there. And uh, Trump uh, says to his, uh, to the people who are there, who obviously love him, pointing to the reporters, he says this, you'll get to meet the fake news tonight. You'll get to see what I have to go through. (coughs) Who's there? Oh, all my killers are there. Wow. So you'll get to see some of the people that we deal with every day. Okay. Um, and something, <clears throat> boy, my throat. God. My, um, and something that um, I think is an extremely important story that is not getting the kind of attention. I mean, really serious front page uh, lead story attention is the effort uh, by the Trump administration and the lackey donor he put in charge of the Postal Service to literally cripple it prior to the election when the vast majority of Americans will probably be voting, casting their ballots by mail. You might have missed it, but Friday night, this is when they do these things. Friday nights are when he fires, uh, you know, the uh, investigators who are sniffing around, getting too close to some of the corruption. All the IGs uh, that have been have been kicked out, that has been announced on a Friday night. Why? Because Friday night is when news starts to... uh, Well, it shuts half its brain off, like a swift in flight. It's the weekend, and people stop paying attention to the news as much. Um, And so if you want to hide something, you do it, announce it on Friday night. And it's a tried and true uh, kind of, uh, and and, and very... um, useful mechanism for those who are doing things that they don't want too many people to know about. And so on this last Friday night, Trump's lackey postmaster general fired not one, not two, I'll spare you. Not three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He fired 23 of the top officials of the United States Postal Service. Threw them out. The entire top tier of the Postal Service was massacred Friday night. <clears throat> Did you hear about it? 
this in advance of an election in which the Postal Service will play an enormous, enormous part. And what Trump wants to do is cripple the Postal Service before the election. And he's been doing a hell of a job, or the guy he put there, doing a hell of a job. They stopped paying overtime to people, so that slowed down the delivery of mail. They have put all kinds of cost-cutting restrictions in place that keep the mail from getting to you. And now they've kicked out the entire almost the entire top tier of administrators. In other words, the people who do know how to make it run, even under the kinds of outrageous constrictions that have been put in its path. And you can bet if those 23 are even replaced they might not be, but so it'll be a totally, it'll, it'll be a skeleton of what it was and asked to take on the greatest responsibility ever. This is to me the most, or well, it's hard to rank in this day and age, one of the most consequential and potentially dire developments heading into this election. So yeah, maybe we register all the people. Maybe we vote in numbers never before seen. But while Trump cries, voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud, he's the one already actively working to discredit and to impede your right, each American's most precious right, to have a say in who will govern us. Frightening. Uh, Roger writes, funny that you mentioned civets and the 103-year-old woman who just got a tattoo. In the movie, The Bucket List, <clears throat> Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson are both dying of cancer and make a bucket list. On the list, they add, laugh until you cry. Nicholson is a rich jerk who only drinks a specific brand of coffee. Later, oh, I see where this is going. Later in the movie, Freeman discovers that Nicholson preferred co his preferred coffee is a result of coffee beans picked out of civet droppings well it had the desired effect when they laughed 
about drinking shit. Um, and then you see, he sent me, Roger sent me more stuff uh, on civets, which he felt he had to look up because of uh, Breeze. A small, lean, mostly nocturnal mammal, native to tropical Asia and Africa, uh, mostly Southeast Asia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sold for meat in local markets in China. Oh, great. Oh, in 2002 and three, civets sold by meat in local markets in China's Yunnan province carried the SARS virus from horseshoe bats to humans. Okay, so anyway, there they, they have it. And uh, coffee, yeah. Yeah, they harvest coffee beans. They feed these civets uh, beans, and then they harvest them from the fecal matter. The civets digest the flesh of the coffee beans, but pass the pits, where stomach enzymes affect the beans, which adds to the coffee's prized aroma. Oh, yeah. Mm. Civet shit and flavor. One pound can cost up to $600 in some parts of the world and about $100 a cup in others. This demand, of course, has led to torturing civets. It's led to civet farms on which the civets are fed a diet composed almost exclusively of these causing them to become severely malnourished. The farm conditions are routinely described as deplorable. Great. All right, so there you have it. Now we all know more, maybe. Not, I can't, don't want to include all of you, but about civets and ever before. Um, also, before we leave, um, oh, Louise. Right. Do I dare once again look for some hope? I don't know. She quotes Thomas Jefferson in a letter he wrote on June 4th, 1798. A little patience, and we shall see the reign of witches pass over, their spells dissolve, and the people recovering their true sight, restore their government to its true principles. It is true that in the meantime, we are suffering deeply in spirit and incurring the horrors of a war and long oppressions of enormous public debt. And if we feel their power just sufficiently to hoop us together, it will be the happiest situation in which we can exist. If the game runs sometimes against us at home, we must have patience till luck turns. And then we shall have an opportunity of winning back the principles we have lost. For this is a game where principles are at stake. <laughs> wow. I don't know what he was facing in 1798 there exactly. 
but I don't think it was as bad as what we got now. If Thomas Jefferson could look and see who's sitting in the Oval Office right now, he would go insane. He would go stark raving mad. That's what I think. Okay, um, I think we're out of time. Let me see if I can get you the COVID report before I take my raspy little voice and uh, get out of here. Yeah, I've got it here. Um, Well, these cases are coming down, thank God. But see, we got to understand that now that we've got it going down again in the right direction, we've got to stick with it. You can't go out partying. You gotta bite the fucking bullet. Fucking nincompoops. And I, I noticed one other thing. Throughout, they've always had a, a gender breakdown, and I've always been confused um, that there have always been more women testing positive than men since we began doing this, because I was under the impression that men were more susceptible for some reason. And now all of a sudden, man, that has totally changed here in Allegheny County with men now making up 55% of the cases when women have been way up over, you know, have been almost that high. So it's finally swung back. And I bet that's the young guys. All the beer drinkers, guys. It's probably young men. No, no. It's young men with a virus who give it to old women because there's more older aging women than men. And they kill old women. Young men killing old women. That's what it is. Anyway, the numbers for the last 24 hours are uh, a mere 75 confirmed cases. One new hospitalization and no deaths. And that's, that's good. I mean, it ain't great, but it's sure better than the triple digits we were in for a few weeks recently, right? So that's that, and I thank you very much. Uh, Join me tomorrow. Susan will be joining me. Maybe we can get my mom on. It'll be her 98th birthday, and we can ask her what the hell that feels like being 98. Jeez. I don't know, but we might. Okay? You have a good day. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.